Today, we look at the seven personality compositions in light of voter behavior. It might help explain how in some cases, Republicans outperformed and in many others, blew what should have been a huge lead in this past election. That is next. Hey, welcome back to The Barry Farrell Show, where we talk about culture, politics, and leadership. I hope you are doing great. Today, we'll examine why the Republicans didn't win by nearly as much as they should have in some places. Some races we won and did very well, but some places were way too close, and some we lost that we really should have won. On the last podcast, we established that you cannot win an election, at least on a statewide basis and certainly in a purple place, if you don't have a strong positive message. That message has to outweigh whatever it is you're running against. Moderates just don't go for it. To them, it sounds scary, if not mean. For my purposes here today, we will look at how a positive message must be conveyed in order to reach people of various personality types. This is based on the concept that there are seven dominant personality characteristics, truth teller, worker, server, scholar, teacher, people, connector, overseer, leader, fiscal steward, and life embracer. Now here I'm simplifying these seven personality characteristics, of course, People are more complex than a two-word label, and most people have a dominant characteristic and at least some of one of the others. For example, a truth-teller is normally confrontational, and a life-embracer is not. So what happens when a person has both of these characteristics? Well, there is a nuanced answer, but we're going to leave that for another time. Here, we're just going to keep it simplistic. So. Let's look at these seven personality types and specifically as it pertains to elections. I've observed in business and in nonprofits and in politics, these dominant characteristics are helpful to explain certain behavior. So what the heck? Here's my shot at explaining voter behavior with that same tool. Now, there's a ton of tools out there. I I use the DISC test uh, extensively in my business career and the Myers-Briggs, and they're all good. But what I'm using is a little different. It comes from a New Testament passage. They're called grace gifts or deposits from God that you had nothing to do with. You just got them when you were born. Most perspectives on voters are based on an analysis of what people think. The discussion I'm going to drive is a little different. It's that you have pieces to yourself that are just impossible to change. It's the very essence of how the person is designed to begin with. And I'm going to stay away from Christianese language, but I'm going to change the labels to make it a little easier for those unfamiliar with it to follow. And I'm changing the grace gift to a primary or a dominant personality characteristic. Understand it better, and we have a better chance of reaching the people that the losers in the last election missed. So here we go. If you're a candidate for any office that's in a district that's somewhat purple, there are legit Democrats, Republicans, and independents in that district. In this group, if you're a Republican and you want to win, you're going to have to capture almost all the Republicans, which means a good chunk of moderate Republicans. And you're going to have to win a very good percentage, nearly 40% of the independents. 
You can't possibly do that if you ignore how people are wired. The first dominant personality characteristic we call the truth teller. The truth teller you could kind of think of as a prophet, uh, like Ben Shapiro or Charlie Kirk or Candace Owens, Tucker Carlson, or a politician like Senator Ted Cruz. Now, when I mention these public figures, it isn't intended to confuse you. You don't have to be famous or public to be any of these personalities. I just thought it'd be helpful to give you some sort of an image. Here are some of the characteristics of a truth teller. They speak forth. They're articulate, and they're really unafraid to speak their mind. They believe fully that what they are saying is true, yet they're also kind of able to process a little bit verbally to reaffirm what they believe to be true. They see. They can see things black and white. I mean, you're either a rhino or you're a true patriot. They don't see a lot of gray. They can also see around the corner. They can see what could happen if trajectory continues unabated, and usually before others do. They're intense. They don't see why everyone else doesn't feel as deeply about the cause as they do. They want to scream and shout, wake up, everybody. And as a general rule, they believe that a good chunk of the population is pretty much apathetic. They're bold. They have no fear. They, they say things others just would never dare to say. <laughs> They're popular, though, since they have the guts to say it. They're verbal, they process verbally, and they don't really feel like their job is done until they verbalize their thoughts. It's got to come out of their mouth or it's not finished. They're also assessors. They look at a situation and they kind of filter away all the gray. Whatever the issue is, it needs to be moved into either a black or white column. It needs to be either good or evil. And they're passionate. They're not mediocre. They're all in. They feel, they think, and they speak with passion. And they're truthful. I mean, as far as they understand truth, they are truthful. They hate wishy-washy half-truths, and it could be a potential blind spot for them. They think they understand what's absolutely true all of the time. And though a guy like Charlie Kirk, who is very powerful, but he's also a humble man, he's a really good exception. As a general rule, this personality type is not known for their humility. There's also this concept that they're an initiator. They don't wait for someone to ask them their opinion. They're going to come right at you, find out what venue you're in, and they're going to speak forth. They fundamentally believe that they're doing this for good reasons. Number one, to protect you. Number two, to warn you. Number three, to help you avoid trouble or to speak truth to power. So how do you reach this group of people? It represents 14% of the population. Well, you probably have to reach them in the primary. I mean, at least at some level. They, they've already thought through what's important. You don't really need to persuade them. If you have strong freedom principles, you'll have these guys. If you're principled, you'll get these guys. They'll be on your side. In this last election, if you wanted Trump's endorsement, and if you were running in an open seat, you pretty much had to be a truth teller. And you pretty much had to make the foundation of your campaign looking back to 2020 and responding to Trump. Goodness, Trump forced Adam Laxalt, the senatorial candidate in Nevada, to publicly state that Trump was the best president ever. Otherwise, he was going to withdraw his endorsement. And this was in Nevada. That did not help his campaign. He needed to pivot to bread and butter issues after he won the primary, but he made it really easy for his opponent to pigeonhole him. Another example, Lauren Bobert's uh, district. It, it's one of the most conservative in the country. She should have won by big double digits. 
She won by a razor thin, less than 1% margin. So when you reach out to the truth tellers in the primary, that's important, but convince them that you're principled, that you will remain strong, but their issues should not be the only component of your campaign. To reach the moderates and the independents, you need to broaden to convey more empathy. If you did that in the last election, as we mentioned on our last podcast, you won and you won big. Now, the next dominant personality type is worker-server, kind of like acts of service is one way to think about it. These are get-it-done guys. You know, Representative Jim Jordan, uh, South Dakota's John Thune. Again, think of these guys as voters, not just as politicians, but I use the politicians or this public face to give you kind of an idea of what we're thinking of because we have so much actual behavior that's been documented over time. So this could just as easily be a waitress who loves her job down at the local diner. Now, <clears throat> when you think about reaching out to people in the worker service arena, candidates should think through that lens through which they see the world. They value certain things. And here's what they value. Here's what they're like. This is what they're made of. They're hard workers. They show up on time. They get things finished on time. So show up to your campaign event on time. These guys hate it when you make them wait. They're understated. Uh, they don't need to be on stage, but they'll build a great stage. They're team players. They're team players that don't even have to have a fantastic leader uh, as long as what they're doing overall makes sense. And they're the kind of person that will build a platform uh, with the intention of a greater purpose. So in some ways, their deeds have to give relief to somebody, have to benefit something. They're practical. Uh, their, their effort is to fulfill an actual need. Uh, these include all the people in the industries who actually enjoy generating a service or a product that does something for others. Now, don't confuse the job with the characteristic. Not everyone that's working as a customer success rep enjoys it or is any good at it. The people who live for it, that 14%, they have this part of their makeup. It's who they are. These people are also loyal. They're vested in the success of the leadership team. And even if they aren't in a leadership position themselves, they're so hardworking and building that platform. Even if the leader makes a mistake, they'll kind of forgive that mistake and they'll overlook it to keep on working and make sure that platform gets finished. They're faithful. It, it, they're, they're not blind to leadership mistakes or leadership errors, but they're faithful to their own work. So something that they start, they want to finish. They're consistent. And finally, they're kind of obliging. And, and that's because they're motivated by the overall outcome of the project. So they're not pushy in terms of getting the limelight themselves or getting the credit for it. And this can certainly be misunderstood as squishy. So how do you appeal to these voters? Well, these guys will come along with you if you show them that you're going to protect them. Now, to Trump's credit, he got a lot of these people in the working class industries by making them feel understood and safe. And, and his antics actually helped him in 2016 to win these guys. I mean, he essentially conveyed that he would do the heavy lifting of taking down the establishment that's rigged for the benefit of the elite. It's rigged for the benefit of the elite. So he's going to take down that establishment for the benefit of the worker server and their voice would be heard. So in this case, his antics would help reinforce that he was authentic, but that only goes so far. And as a general rule, 
the workers need to not only hear that you are on their side and that you'll do something or do three somethings to protect them or keep them safe, but they need to know that you'll be effective at it. The next dominant personality type is the scholar, the teacher. Uh, think uh, Senator Mike Lee or Dr. Thomas Sowell or Carl uh, Rove or Newt Gingrich or maybe Senator Tom Cotton. These are source validators. These guys are motivated by verifying that any claim that someone has made is true. They, they double check the data. They validate it themselves. They actually go to the source docs. They're researchers. They want confirmation. So if, if a candidate says something to this personality type, this scholar researcher, this uh, teacher type, they better make sure it's accurate because that voter is going to make sure they look it up. This voter is also a student, this scholar teacher type. You know, all great teachers are first actually great students. They continue to learn things. They, they, they continue to grab things um, and they can give you the steps. Now, another trait is that they're explainers. They can explain in detail the history and answer all the questions that anyone has about what, when, where, how, and why. And they also have a desire to give others the ability to learn. Uh, these scholar teacher types are also trainers. Uh, these guys aren't just actual teachers. They're found in research labs. They're engineers. They're data scientists. They're in all kinds of the computer fields. They're in the fields and all the occupations that require a high use of precision and testing of data. And personality-wise, they're respectful. They're skilled. They're detailed. Uh, they're good listeners. They're also kind of safe to be with. They're easy to be with. Think of like a good, normal professor that doesn't have a big agenda. That's what these guys are like. They're deliberate and they're objective. They can absorb and filter out all kinds of clutter and they will see the real essence of the issue. So that makes them in a way, this 14%, fairly easy to win if you'll just think through what it is you're for, give them some factual steps. So let's say you're for building good roads. Give them a process and the steps on how you're going to fix the roads and make them better. And then occasionally ignore your campaign manager who always tells you to keep it super simple. And, you know, at the sixth grade level, go a little deeper. Give a little more support for your policy, a little more support for your program. You know, this is how DeSantis won this particular group. This is probably his secondary uh, gift. He, he actually read the Imperial College report when it came out. So when he was asked about it, he had answers with detail, which kind of shocked the media. They didn't know what to do with them. So this 14% of the population really respects it when you think it through and you've got actual steps. The next dominant personality characteristic is people connector, kind of an exhorter personality type. Uh, representative Kevin McCarthy is this way. Representative Lee Zeldin is this way. Now, again, I'm not talking about how much you love or don't love them, but think of the voters that are like them. They're often the sales guys or the event planners. They're kind of the life of the party people. They can be people pleasers, but they almost always have a, a smile. They, they, they don't really have much of an edge. They're reconcilers. They're the kind of person that looks at person A and person B might not be getting along, and they're trying to figure out how to bring that disparate group together. They can reach in both directions, and they kind of actually enjoy that. They can go all the way to truth teller on one end of the spectrum and all the way to life embracer on the other side. 
They can comfort people. They can console you. They can admonish you. They can invite you. They can reassure you and they can strengthen you kind of all at the same time. These guys are really good networkers. They actually remember names. They're outgoing. I mean, they see everyone as a potential friend, at least superficially. They, they don't insult anyone. They don't like anyone that insults anyone either. They're good communicators and they're visionary in a certain way. Not always a visionary with like this strong, deep sense of uh, right or wrong. It, it could be, but unless that's combined with truth teller, but they just have a knack for thinking big picture, sometimes unrealistically. And they're persuasive. These are your salesmen in the workforce. These guys will be the kind of guy that would meet you on a golf course, never have seen you before. And then they just come up to you, talking to you like you're, you're not a stranger, that you're this long lost best friend. They'll just kind of assume you want to be around them and they'll be talkative and they're just open personalities. They're also open to suggestions, really just whatever it takes to move people. That's what these guys are like. These guys are sort of the natural politicians, what people think of, uh, but the people that are voters that have a similar personality structure, they want to see you smile more. They don't want to see you as harsh and just taking everything so seriously. There has to be reason for happiness. Now, Trump never really won these guys, not on policy, not unless it was on policy. They're the ones that winced. They, they just didn't like his insults. They don't like his bullying. These guys take it sort of personally whenever you demean others, especially if you're demeaning other people to make yourself look better. So that might have worked for Trump in 2016 against a very horrible candidate, but bullying is usually punished at the polls. The next personality characteristic is overseer, leader. Uh, DeSantis is clearly this. He's kind of a leader scholar. Uh, most CEOs are leaders. A lot of the entrepreneurial leaders are leader givers. Uh, here's some of the traits. They can take something from inception to completion. They can move to get things done and, and people will follow them. They have an element of intensity. They can manage, uh, preside over things and people uh, more or less line up with their plan. They're developer types. They, they, they all have some capacity to see a finished project before other people can. It's similar to when a developer sees a, a plot of raw land and he knows that he can put a beautiful home on it um, or homes. They also are responsible. These guys often mature pretty fast and they're kind of willing to carry extra weight. They're also usually somewhat inventive. They think outside the box just to get things done. They also see gray in conflict with truth tellers. They see the future through people getting things done, and that can be messy. Uh, they absorb more range in the methods and more range in the approach than a truth teller would be comfortable with. They don't see it as unethical, just the reality on the ground. I mean, if you want to get the shipment from Thailand, you're going to have to negotiate with a whole range of gatekeepers along the way. They've got different cultures and values at every step. They're task-oriented. They love to finish stuff. They hate an important undone task, and they're efficient. They've got different methods. Some have messy desks, so some don't have desks at all. But the important things get done quickly. They kind of instinctively just inherently know how to get people to move with them and for them. They're also autonomous. I mean, they're okay being lonely. And there's a lot of lonely moments for these leaders. They're fine with the wind in their face as the skipper of the ship. Without some autonomy, they actually don't do well. With autonomy in the right setting, they flourish. And they all have some small version of conqueror. They're kind of wired for completion and conquest. 
The project needs to be finished. The task has to get completed. Now, leaders primarily respect good leadership. If you're a candidate and you don't have some of the qualities from my four podcast series on leadership, you might want to look at that. These guys have a hard time seeing how you're going to pull off the job. They may care a lot about policy. They might even have some really deep freedom principles, but they're looking to a candidate to try to envision you as a candidate in a board meeting. They're, they're saying, how are you going to handle other leaders? And that's what they're thinking about. So if you want to win this 14%, you're going to have to have some leadership yourself or at least be able to speak to it. The sixth dominant personality characteristic is fiscal steward. Kind of think of giver. Senator Rand Paul or Larry Kudlow, kind of a, he, he probably has a giver profit combo. Think about the people you know who have this uh, as their driving personality characteristic. They're generous. When the project proves to be useful and when it passes due diligence, they will give a bunch of money. In fact, this group, these fiscal stewards are the biggest givers, the biggest donators. They have financial smarts. They understand budgets. They understand financial statements. They understand capital markets. And it's interesting to them. And they're financially well off. They don't make dumb financial decisions. They're astute. They're good at due diligence. They're also kind of negotiable. They're willing to come to reasonable terms. They're willing to make changes and adjustments. And sometimes they're spontaneous. They're quick to make a decision if they like it. And if you combine leader, the overseer leader, with this fiscal steward, this giver, you get magnanimous. They're also almost always independent. They're not as likely to take counsel on financial matters. And they're resourceful. They can find value where others can't. And most of all, they think of themselves as a steward, stewards of their own time, stewards of the resources that they touch. That's just how they see themselves and how they think others should be and how they think organizations should run. What I'm surprised about is how many candidates didn't speak to the needs of the people who are fiscal stewards. All you have to say is that you'll push the envelope to force transparency on the budget or explain how you'll be tenacious about exposing waste. I mean, that's an easy 14% of the population that most people ignore. The final 14% of people are perhaps the most unthreatening and perhaps the least considered, at least by Republicans. And they are the life embracers. When I think of a Fox News uh, candidate here, maybe Shannon Bream or Dana Perino, this person's kind, they're cheerful, even when circumstances aren't great. They're experiencers. They enjoy things the most. It's hard for them to have an edge. They experience the right now of life. They're also good with proximity. In other words, they are people that like to be with other people. And when people are with a life embracer, everyone wants to be around them. They just don't have an edge unless they've got some truth teller in them. They, they have the, an interesting perspective on their own identity. They just don't know what all the fuss is about. I mean, why do people want to best each other all the time? Why are they so competitive? What drives them to be so selfishly ambitious all the time? Why are people trying to gain so much power over others? Why would anybody even want that? Why can't people just get along and enjoy each other and discuss our differences in a kind and civil manner? They're also protective. They're sympathetic. 
They could give someone a pass who doesn't technically deserve it, but they're tenaciously attentive to anything that smacks of bullying. That might be because they got bullied when they were in high school because they're so gentle. If you come across like a bully to them as a candidate, they probably won't vote for you, even if they like your policies. They're deep. They think and they process things deeply and sometimes maybe too deeply, but almost every human interaction has multiple layers of complexity for them. And finally, the life embracers are emotive. They feel things deeply. They'll process things emotionally. So how do you reach a life experiencer type? I mean, I mean, you've got to learn how to empathize. They need empathy. They value empathy. They empathize with others. So in this last election cycle, I was stunned at how many people didn't do the most basic thing to reach out to this 14%. Just go to the grocery store and walk around, be filmed, and talk about how hard that must be to afford the food. And with genuine, authentic humility, convey that you'll try as hard as you can to help lower the pain. It isn't so much what your policy is with the life experiencer. It's how you say it. They're looking at your demeanor. Now, I want you to consider Arizona. Doug Ducey won governor of the state in 2014 and 2018 by large margins in the same state with the same kind of election issues that you've witnessed in the last two cycles. He defeated uh, Fred Duvall in 2014, and he defeated David Garcia, an energized Democrat electorate was behind him in 2018. At that time, in 2018, Trump polled very low in the state of Arizona. The Democrats were motivated. They had a lot of money. They had a good candidate. And Ducey won by a lot with a simple, straightforward platform. I mean, it did help that he governed with common sense principles, so he was able to point to what he had done. But it also helped that he didn't give any of the seven personality characteristics a reason to vote against him. He conveyed his message with a tone that was gracious. So he didn't ostracize large swaths of the population. Now, some truth tellers don't like him. They complain that he wasn't freedom oriented enough during the pandemic or that they wanted him to be more conservative here or there. And you can argue around the margins. But he kept businesses unharassed during the pandemic, and he was a whole heck of a lot better than either of those Democrats would have been during the same emergency. Can you imagine? At some point, we have to decide if it's more important to win and keep the country a constitutional republic or to just get our one little policy. So I want you to consider, if you're a candidate, those seven personality types. They all have a angle. It's a way they were made. It's God's deposit on them. And if you reach out to them as it relates to what they're driven by, I think you can have a wide, big win with common sense, meat and potatoes, basic kitchen table ideas that are conservative, that are freedom-oriented, that are very principled, thoroughly constitutional, and you can help protect this constitutional republic to your freedom. Hi, I'm David Farah. Thank you for listening to my dad's podcast, The Barry Farah Show, Culture Shift. Click subscribe now to be sure you don't miss an episode. Share this podcast with your friends on social media and give The Barry Farah Show your five-star rating. See you next time.